Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care. And good morning to you. Yeah, you see, there's my, my sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Discam Medical Monday. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy. I will be your host for the next hour on this program. And uh, Discam Medical Monday, we look at different health issues. We look at different lifestyle issues and we get the best experts in the business to come and talk to us so that you can understand the issues because when you have an understanding of it you can manage it better you're not just ta- going and uh, acting on what somebody else is telling you this really you'll have a, a complete bird's eye view and uh, possibly a different understanding a better understanding of uh, the issue at hand so uh, you know I was actually doing some research on, on stress and do you know that South Africa last year was named the second most stressful a country in the world The second most stressful I think that uh, you know We are so stressed by Our lifestyle, by crime By economic factors All the time that Stress becomes a different level of normal And It has a huge, huge impact From depression To all different kinds of health issues So uh, I thought You know what, we need somebody to actually speak to about this. We need the top guy who understands the body in a holistic way. He understands all the different systems, how they work, how one thing can have an impact on another. And I've invited into studio Richard Sutton, who uh, we know. Our listeners love you, Richard. Welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. Not getting much sleep lately? No, no, we've got a seven-week-old. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's been a bit challenging on the sleep front, but what a blessing. So thank God. Mazel tov. Thank God. Thank Mazel you, thank to you. you and your family. Thank you. Really. Thank you. It's, it's great blessing. news. No, thank you. I get much nachas when I hear things like that. Yeah, why are we so stressed? So I, I like the way you started it. And and you, you started with the narrative being that South Africa's uh, the, the second most stressed ca- country. I don't know what where the data is extrapolated from, but it, it's a very interesting statement you made there. Because if you look Blumberg, at Bloomberg, Bloomberg. So if you look at the the four factors that actually precipitate in stress, South Africa is at the forefront of those four factors. So there was an incredible study. It's called the Whitehall study. It involved thirty thousand individuals over forty years looking at what causes stress and what are the implications on health. And it it, it clarified that it was it's the most incredible study, and it's it's a, a study that I, I cite a lot as as a reference quite often. And what they found was the primary driver in stress in our lives is lack of control. Now, if you look at South Africa, do you have any control in our lives? No. It, it, one day to the next is why it's it literally wild. Um, so we have no sense of control. You know, no sense, sense of control over our own lives. No, no sense of control in the future. We don't know. There's so much uncertainty in South Africa at the moment. So that sense of control is lacking, and that's the single biggest driver in stress. Hmm. The second thing was justice. Do we have justice in our country? No. Most certainly not. No, criminals okay. get more rights. They've got more rights than... So here we've got this, the first and the second biggest drivers in stress and poor health outcomes being at the forefront of South African society. The third big driver in stress was an effort-reward balance, putting in a lot of effort, getting rewards. Do we, we put in a lot, a lot of effort, we get taxed more, there's always a penalty, there's always some sort of nuance that is limiting us from our potential in business or our potential in life. That is, or some sort of penalty. So there's, there's definitely not an effort reward balance within the South African, you know, climate, so to speak. And then lastly, social support was identified as one of the big drivers in 
promoting stress or lack thereof. Do we have any social support in South Africa? If you're over 60, if you're over 65, it is a very challenging environment to be in. You're yeah. on your own. You're on your own, unless you have a community like ours. We're very blessed to have this community. So if you look at the four biggest drivers in stress, South Africa is, is right there at the forefront. No control, no justice, you know, uh, effort reward, imbalance, and lastly, no social support. Those are the primary drivers South Africa qualifies in all accounts. Well, it's no wonder that we're the second it's most no wonder stressful that, country that all of us are affected by stress. And the narrative, the, all the, uh, the message today is not necessarily avoidance. You know, so, so many, like, you know, if you look in on, with it, social media, normal media, health pages, it's always about avoid your stress, cut back on your stress, go and quit your job, move to the country, you know, try and create serenity in your life, meditate, you know, 23 hours a day. You know, these are the messages that are coming out of, of, of the mainstream literature. And today's message is not that at all. And the reason why is that if you look at the definition of stress, we can't avoid it. The definition of the Oxford Dictionary is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. I've just described life. Life exactly. is one demanding circumstance after, after the other. And if, according, there was actually an interesting study. It was a study by Emily Ansell from Yale University School of Medicine and Elizabeth Raposa from the University of California. And it was all about pro-social behavior, the relation to stress, stress and health. But in the study, they identified that the average individual experiences four stressful events every single week. Four, four stressful what? events every single week. And in South Africa, we're at the, you know, we're number two in the world. So we, we've got a lot we're more. All stress than, is just the degree that varies. Exactly. So if you, if you preaching or advocating stress avoidance, you've got no chance. Absolutely no chance because you're going to be, the average is going to be four a week. We're in a highly stressed uh, society. So we're probably going to have more than four a week. There's no ways you can avoid stress. So the message is very much not about stress avoidance, but it's, it's for a couple of reasons because the second most most important factor is one we can't avoid it by virtue of the definition. But the second most important factor is that stress is potential. A greater success in life is achieved through stress. And I'd like to bring in a personal narrative on this account. So in in around 2005 2006, I was working on the ATP tour, and I was working with a player who was highly ranked. Uh, his his ranking ranged from about six in the world to two in the world. Um, very charismatic guy, sponsors loved him, very attractive guy. He's engaged to uh, a woman who, who, was, uh, who's, who was an actress, but she had an A-list celebrity like following herself. And every time he played a match, uh, he would have Robert De Niro there. You would have a whole like host of, 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 of you know, iconic the figures. <laughs> exactly. The red carpet would come to his matches. So he was really good for the sport. And I was working for him that time. And about two weeks before the U.S. Open, I came back to South Africa. I had some lecture commitments at Stellenbosch University. And I came back for the lecture commitments. And whilst he was in the U.S. training, he sustained a shoulder injury. That year, we've been very, you know, our dynamic was quite good. And anything he sustained, we were able to address very rapidly. So I didn't think much of it. Also, I was 35 years, 33 years old. I wasn't like too, too phased by the situation in 2000. You know, nothing really phased me in those days. So I just said, look, you know, try and, try and get some therapy while you're there. And, and a week, a week before the US Open, we'll, we'll touch base and it should be enough time to address whatever we need to address. So I didn't think much of it. So I finished my lecture commitment. I, I, in hindsight, I couldn't really get out of them in any event. And I returned to New York on a Sunday. It's basically one week before the US, eight days before the US Open was scheduled to commence. So I get back to New York and instead of mentally preparing and researching and finding out more information about the condition that he, it was a shoulder injury that he had sustained, 
what do you, what does a 33 year old guy do in New York on arrival? No, you go out and you have the time of your life. So I would, I'd like to describe that day as a vodka, the Smirnoff commercial. It was, you know, it was a time of having the time of my life. You know, got, got back early hours of the morning. He arrives later that morning. This you know, is not the version of the story that I've heard before. <laughs> no, 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 I kind of left a little bit out of that. Okay. All right. So I'm giving you the full version now. So he arrives uh, that morning about 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm still like a bit groggy from the night before, but it was a great night. So I've got nothing to complain about. And he said, look, I'm staying at Kate Hudson's apartment. Um, we're going to be treating from there from now. And uh, I'd like to see you in a couple of hours. No problem. But I'm not excited to get there to treat. I'm excited to see the apartment. You know, I want to, I know, <laughs> please God, she's there. <laughs> so, so I rush over there, um, you know, to kind of get to the apartment absolutely in awe of, of, you know, the, you know, the, the memorabilia and the pictures on the wall. Unfortunately, there was uh, no signs of Kate Hudson, but very happy to be there. So we get the, the athlete down on the treatment table, take a look at his uh, shoulder, mechanically sound, neurologically sound, cannot find a single thing wrong, yet he's in agonizing or excruciating pain. So I think, okay, well, in these situations, you know, the best thing to do is treat everything. So I, t- I took a position where everything was going to be treated at the time. And uh, so what I what I did was I kind of did a, a full run through, you know, everything that was semi-related, kind of related. It was the most general, longest treatment I've ever applied to any individual. And I I, I thought it was probably, you know, it's, I wasn't picking it up because I was a little hungover from the night before. But uh, I, I just thought if I covered all bases, it should be fine. So what happened two and a half hours or three hours after the uh, commencement of the treatment, uh, he got off the table and... Uh, there was actually no change, and I started. Now I started to panic because this is a very intolerant guy, and it's a very big tournament. And you're not expecting a major resolution; you're just expecting more range of motion, a little bit of ease, and then over a 24-hour period, you're looking at a, a change uh, taking place. So, like, uh, you know, my heart rate was elevated. All our stress parameters, uh, all stress markers were up. Heart rate was up. I was a little bit of a sweat. So my breathing rate was higher. You know, I felt my endorphins were raised. I was starting to feel the effects of, of you know, like a, a, an acute stressful bout. So, anyway, so we didn't think much of it. He said, okay, look, uh, I'm, you know, he was a bit disappointed, and we, we're going to have another treatment session the following day. And he will, you know, we'll, we'll just touch, you know, touch, uh, touch base later in the day. So later on in the day, you know, I caught up with him and he said, look, uh, you can't train today, you can't practice today, you can't do anything today. It's still very, very sore, no change at all, and he's quite agitated. So anyway, so As now, it would be. I mean, he's got the US uh, Open absolutely, absolutely. starting and all in six ma- days. Exactly, and all his major sponsors, um, you know, will be looking at the US Open for, wow. you, know, uh, you know, re-signing and, and so on. So as it turns out, I didn't sleep that night. Now the stress response is in full effect. You know, it's I'm sweating, my adrenaline is rushing, my cortisol's elevated. I'm thinking, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? I'm going to do better the next day. So I rush over. You know, the first opportunity in the morning, rush over to to Cat uh, Hudson's apartment. Now I'm not interested in the apartment, just interested in the player. You know, I take no change overnight. Uh, unfortunately, didn't regress. And again, another marathon session. Have no idea what is wrong. It, it's completely perplex, perplexing. How did the injury arrive? Was it just uh, that's, I'm sore? Gonna, I'll tell you at the end of the story okay. how, how, what heart manifests and what it was. 
So anyway, so two and a half hours later, he's now absolutely livid. I mean, five hours of treatment. I mean, it's one thing to have 40 minutes of treatment and no result, but five hours of treatment, no result. I mean, you can imagine the frustration. And he gets up. He says, look, um, last night I was thinking about it. If there was no change today, I was going to get a team from Europe to come over and take over for this week. It, it's too important. I can't, I can't neglect the situation. And it was a top uh, doctor from uh, uh, one of the European countries and uh, a top physical therapist. And they were going to come out as a team and work together, so medicate and combine with manual therapy. So, you know, I said, you know, I, I understand and, and, you know, I was really like uh, in, a, in, a, in a panic at that particular point because I, I know the consequences. I was his primary caregiver. I failed to provide the care in this particular point um, of, of his career or, or point of the year. It was exceptionally important. I mean, everything, all the stakes were at, at their highest point. And uh, I just didn't have a solution, didn't have an answer. And I, I couldn't even give him a narrative as to where this came from and, and how this occurred. So what I, you know, I, I left the apartment. He said, we'll be in touch on the weekend, but right now you just stay put. Don't go anywhere. This other team's going to take over from tomorrow or from tonight if they can get here in time. Right, so imported them from Europe. So imported them from Europe. And I'm thinking, you know, I get to the hotel. I'm like in an absolute state. How, you know, the worst case of stress that we've ever experienced, sweating and, and no, just can't focus client, on it. And this is your name on the line. Exactly. And it's a very reputationally based environment. Right. So if, if you're not successful with one player, professional it, you're athletes, out. Yeah. you're out. So, you know, so now I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting in the park and I, you know, I just forget about going out and having a good time. I've got five days off in New York. What, what, you know, if, if there was another time, another day, I would be having a, you know, the time of my life. But, uh, this was now in the apartment thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? What? Just running through it, running through it, running through it. So anyway, I think, okay, look, I'm going to try and find a solution. And there was no Google. We can complex shoulder injury. What could it be? And you come up with a whole different list of options and you can go explore, you know, down different channels. So I went to, um, the medical, one of the medical bookshops and I started looking into, you know, possibly, you know, shoulder pathologies. It was very, very difficult to research. Spent a couple of days in, in medical bookshops, but I basically found, um, some work, a body of work by a, a German surgeon called Hans Kier. And he observed that every time there was a diaphragmatic surgery, his patients experience shoulder pain. It's actually a well understood principle. So that, that made sense, you know, so it had to be somewhere in the diaphragm that the complexity had, had manifested or stemmed from. I then found a book on visceral osteopathy. So there's a really famous French osteopath uh, named Jean-Pierre Borel, and uh, he cited as one of Time Magazine's top innovators in medicine, the new millennium, one of the five top innovators in medicine. Mm. And basically his work and his life's work has been dedicated towards looking at the neurological relation between organ systems and joints. So basically, you know, you know, cutting a, a long story short, he was saying that if there's complexities in and around the casing of the liver, the ligaments of the liver, like that you've got ligaments called triangular ligaments, coronal ligaments, thing, um, it could manifest in symptoms in the shoulder. And if you release it through a variety of techniques that he provided in the book, um, it could result in resolution. So I'm reading the book. It makes perfect sense. You know, Kier's theory, Burrell's methodology, trying to integrate the two, get one or two participants to practice on during the week, crude uh, technique, crude met- methodology. But I'm motivated. I'm driven. I've just now, from, from being in crisis, I'm now looking for opportunity. One more chance. Just give me one more chance, and hopefully I'm able to change the equation. So as it turns out, I get that call on Saturday morning. And if you think I, I look tired from no, no sleep now after seven weeks, <laughs> I was a lot more tired then. 
So, so I, I get the call Saturday morning. He said, come over immediately. So I rush over. Now I'm thinking my career is on the line. Maybe I should be considering a fast food restaurant. So, you know, you never work in sport again. It's over. Um, you know, you're going to leave New York with your tail between your legs, literally, so to speak. So I get to the apartment and I see these two experts from Europe, uh, bags packed, looking very disgruntled. The imports. The imports, the, the, the athlete himself looking very disgruntled. They leave. And he calls me into the, the treatment room. He said, look, it hasn't been a good week. Um, you know, from X amounts of, of pain, I've now I've got X plus Y. You know, so he was, he, wow. it, it was more painful, less range of motion, um, an absolute disaster. So he said, look, we're going to try one more time. When was he meant to be playing in Monday, the US Open? And this is Saturday. Wow. So he said, we're going to try one more time. And, uh, so anyway, he said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get on the table and, and do what you can. So what I did was all the conventional treatment applications, the trigger points, the the joint mobilizations, everything that was necessary under those conditions. And then I threw in this technique I'd been working on over the course of the week. And uh, what I found is he was very responsive to their technique, got off the table after two hours. It was another marathon session, but he had improved range of motion, felt a bit easier for the first time in that period of time. So I was quite optimistic, and he said, look, okay, well, if there's a change tomorrow, I stay in the tournament and we continue, uh, the contract remains. If uh, there's no change tomorrow, you know, we part ways, I withdraw from the tournament. Nothing good would come from that situation. So what happened was, uh, naturally, as, as, as one would expect, not a moment of sleep that night. All I'm waiting for is the phone to ring. You know, there was no SMSs to come over immediately. It was, it's, you're just waiting for the phone to ring. So about 10, 11 o'clock, phone ring says, feeling a billion times better. I can actually move my shoulder. There's almost no pain. I want to practice today. So I said, okay, get over at this and this time. We're going to the courts and we're going to treat afterwards. I just want to see how it goes because if I can't play, then it's just no point anyway staying in the tournament. So we go to the courts, do another mini intervention. He practices. He's able to practice relatively pain-free. And uh, then what we did is went back to the apartment, did a full treatment again. And he said, look, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm going to stay in the tournament. So the next day, he actually was scheduled to play. He needed to take a painkiller just for the overhead movements. But a remarkable turnaround. Won the match convincingly. And it happened to be one of the best career results at the U.S. Open. By day two, he had no more pain. And it actually catapulted me in my career because his coach was became the Chinese Olympic coach uh, within their tennis um, who recommended me to take on the position for the Chinese Olympic Federation. And if it wasn't for the stress, if it wasn't for the crisis... I wouldn't have been able to find solutions. I wouldn't be able to push myself beyond my comfort zone, break those barriers, and succeed. And if we look at our personal lives, all the big stresses in lives have all been followed by some sort of success, personal growth, whether it be physical growth, intellectual growth, whatever the growth process may be. But stress is a catalyst to change and oftentimes positive. So uh, I'm Kathy Kayla. This is the Discam Medical Monday. I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. He's a neurovascular practitioner. Um, he has managed... Um, the health of sports people from top ranked, and I'm talking about number ones, number twos, and number threes in in tennis, to the to the Chinese Olympic team, to people that you and I only hear about in the headlines. And we're talking about stress. You know, you, it's a very interesting thing because this has got a lot to do with your mental makeup. It's how you approach stress because Richard stress can 
it can paralyze you. It can paralyze you. You're so right. And that's why the message today is not about avoidance. It's about resilience. It's about making us stronger so that we can withstand stress. And in order to do that, we need to take three steps. And the first is exactly what you're saying. Change your perception. Change the way you see stress. And that's one of the most important, fun, fundamental Just feeling aspects. like you're doing something will make you feel I'm better. I'm going to expound on it and, and throw a lot of research into this. But the second is to change the way you behave when you're exposed to stress, which I'm not going to get into today. And the third is to incorporate habits that positively influence our biology. So these habits include sometimes nutraceuticals, sometimes pharmaceuticals. But if you're taking a supplement or a pill... It's not going to have, you know, it, it's very effective. In my, in my book and in my DVD, I actually, it's part of my recommended process is to incorporate certain nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids and resveratrol and curcumin. And the, the, these things can have a very positive effect on the stress response and, and, and also neutralize some of the adverse effects. But it has to start in a different place. It has to start in understanding the stress model, understanding where stress actually comes from, the difference between good stress and bad stress. That was good stress because it was short. It was short-lived. There wasn't this protracted period of stress how can you reduce the physical and psychological burden of stress um, how can you become more resilient to the negative effects of stress and then if you have been stressed for a long time how can you repair the damage those are the fundamentals that have to be addressed first and we're going to do that and that's what we're going to we're do going today to do we're focusing on exactly what you brought up is perception is changing your perception and there's an urgency there's an absolute urgency um, to to managing stress because stress has a very negative effect on our physical makeup. It has a very negative effect on our psychological makeup. It's associated with chronic illnesses. It's associated with premature mortality. In fact, there was an incredible review of the literature, and it was by a team of of, um, researchers from Harvard and Stanford universities. And basically, they analyzed 228 studies and looked at the effects of stress on our health and, and different types of stress on different aspects of health. And what they found was, was, was absolutely remarkable. So I'm going to just look at things that are, are common in our lives and just give you some, some, some data. All right. So to find out what they said, <laughs> you're going to have to stay with us here on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kaler and, uh, we're speaking to, or I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. He is a neurovascular practitioner. He has managed the health regimes of some of the world's top sports people. He's back. He's living in South Africa now. And, uh, yeah, he's going through his own stress at the moment. He became a dad for the first time seven weeks ago. So he's talking from a different point of view. (laughs) But uh, if you want to get in touch with us, if you've got comments that you'd like to contribute, if you've got questions, you can join the conversation. Uh, 34519 is the text line. You can also WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacist to care. Ten twenty-three. You're on the morning. Oh, you're not actually. You're on uh, Discam Medical Monday, and my guest in studio is Richard Sutton. He is a neurovascular practitioner. You can actually go and check out his website if you want to find out any more about him. What else he does? Um, we've got lots and lots of podcasts there, and it's uh, SuttonHealth.co.za. All right, we'll talk about your DVD and your book and everything at the end. Because I do want to find out more about it. But, uh, all right, so we've been talking about stress. If you've only just joined us, let me see if I can get this right. Is that stress is caused by four different elements. One is feeling out of control. That you have no control on your circumstances, right? Whether it's economic, whether it is something that the government's doing, whatever it is. um, Feeling 
that you don't have control. Two is justice. Justice where somebody is doing X, Y, and Z, but the the perpetrator is uh, is protected or wh- whatever the case. Lack may be. of where fairness. There's, yeah, there's just injustice, right? Yes. The other is the effort and reward imbalance. So uh, you work, 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 and your paycheck at the end of the month doesn't cover all of your expenses. And in fact, you're no out of it by the seventh of the month. That's and there's the no appreciation, from. and there's no prospects in the future. Right. It's it's actually a, th- a three tiered model. Yeah, so it's a financial, it's, it's, it's feeling needed. It's and, and, and pr- prospects, career prospects going forward. Yeah, and then finally it is social support. Um, lack thereof. Yeah, or lack thereof. So those are the four elements. And uh, Bloomberg did a did a study, and this was actually incorporated in Ipsos and Reuters uh, study that they did. Um, and South Africa is the second most stressful country in the world. Now, when you consider control, justice, effort, reward, imbalance, and social su- lack of social support, you there's no wonder. It's, we are all stressed all the time. We are not ever leaving that state of stress. And this, this program is not dealing with leaving that state of stress because you cannot leave that state of stress. It's just the degree that varies. Exactly. You have to learn how to deal with the stress. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. 34519 is the text line or 0621482374 if you want to join the conversation. Uh, great. So we're talking about this enormous meta-analysis by Harvard and Stanford uh, University researchers and uh, it involved 228 studies looking at the different implications of uh, stress and health outcomes. And what they found was that ongoing conflict, whether it be at the home or the office, is associated with a 90% increased risk of having physical health issues. But more importantly, it's associated with a 160% higher risk of developing mental health issues. And mental health issues are literally a global crisis at the moment. The, the leading de- um, burden on, on the world economy is, is depression, which is a mental health issue. If you look at unemployment, which is uh, rife in South Africa at the moment, um, you're looking at a 70% risk of developing physical health issues, 80% risk of mental health issues, and you have a f- greater than 40% higher risk of dying prematurely in response to unemployment, which is becoming Gosh. increasingly more common. For those who are employed, high job demands are commonplace. Those with high job demands have a 45% or greater higher risk of physical health issues. They have a 60% or greater higher risk of mental health issues. But more importantly, they have a 35% higher risk of being diagnosed by a specialist, a physician, with a chronic illness. If you have high, high job demands. Now, who does not have high job demands? Everybody. Uh, who does not have conflict in this day and age? We all have uh, some sort of conflict in, in some environment. Some have more than others. There are, there are some, there are some nuances there that, that you need to include though, Richard. You know, if somebody is in a job that they hate, high job demands is going to be an absolute killer. If you are in a job that you love, that you are passionate about, it is the world of difference because it, it's well not said, so much work. Well and that, that has to do with effort, reward and balance and that has to do with uh, a sense of authority meaning, over yeah. uh, decisions and, and, and meaning in life and, and so on. But let's look at job insecurity, which is a big issue in South Africa at the moment. You're looking at those who experience job insecurity have a 50% higher risk of developing physical health issues and a 40% or greater higher risk of developing mental health issues. So if you have job insecurity and high job demands, which is commonplace, you'll also be exposed to long working hours. So long working hours are typically classified 50 hours a week or more. And for, for most people, that's a half week these days. I mean, you, you can't get by on a 40-hour week in this day and age. 
most individuals work in excess of 55 hours a week. And but not only that, technology. You know, those yes, emails are coming it's through exactly. 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. You're taking it with you. It's you don't relentless. actually ever Absolutely leave the relentless. office. Absolutely yeah. relentless. So long working hours are associated with a 20% high risk of dying prematurely. Also, a 20% high risk of developing a physical health issue that's being diagnosed by a physician. That is the implication of long working hours. It was actually an incredible study. It was a study involving 600,000 individuals from the U.S., from Europe, and Australia. And they looked at the implications of working more than 55 hours a week. Did they look at the corporate environment specifically, Specifically the, the corporate environment. And, and what they found was those individuals who work more than 55 hours a week have a 33% higher risk of developing a stroke and a 13% higher risk of developing coronary artery disease. So that is a serious message. And we're having to work longer and longer hours in order just to, to meet the demands, the high demands that are placed on us, which already are, are creating a scenario. So here we're seeing an urgency. I'm, I'm just giving you the data, not to say that worry about it, fear it. Don't, don't fear it. But just there's an urgency to make changes so that you're not a statistic. And the first step in that process is reappraisal. Is changing the way you see it. And Albert Einstein once said, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. And when it comes to stress, resilience, perception is everything. The way we see it is the way it will affect us. And the best example of this was a study that was published in the journal Health Psychology. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was in 2012 and involved 30,000 um, individuals over an eight-year period. Now, the whole motivation of the study was to determine whether the perception that stress is bad for you affects your health negatively. That's it. So is stress bad for you? Do you believe that stress is bad for you and how does that affect your health? That was the motivation. 30,000 people of an eight-year period. And uh, what they did was they did, had a series of questionnaires which uh, participants filled out every year and then they kind of uh, collated the data and, and presented findings and results. And what they found was if you have a particular, you're moving house, you know, you're moving into a beautiful new house, just the move itself is a significant stress. If you have that single stress, but you do not believe that stress is bad for you, you've got a positive attitude, there's no issues in the world, you've got a 3.5% higher likelihood of dying within a 12-month period. Premature mortality, either through developing a chronic ailment, whatever, 3.5% higher risk of premature mortality in response to a significant stress. Gosh. Okay, so that's, but it's still a very small statistic, 3.5% negligible. They then looked at those individuals who had no stress in a year or perceived stress. It was no major events, you know, like the little nuances in the, in the weeks, but nothing significant, but believed that stress was the enemy. Stress would negatively affect our health. And they looked at, you know, what, what was the outcome there? And they found that those individuals had a 5.1% high risk of mortality in that 12-month period. And yet they had no stress. They had no life. stress. Just the belief that stress is bad for you has a very negative impact on your health. But both, uh, both of those statistics are relatively negligible. It's not something that we can really, yeah, like, buy something. 3.5%. 5%. not, not, you still got a 95% chance of being fine and a 97% chance of being fine. It's significant though when you consider that it's just the belief. Just the belief can turn around. But, this is where the study got interesting. When you take the 30,000 individuals of an eight-year period and you expose them to a stress and they believe that stress is bad for their health, they've got a 43% higher risk of mortality in that period. A 43% higher risk of mortality off the assumption that stress is bad for you and having a stressful event, according oh to that data. Now, what's more concerning is, according to that study, 33.7% of adults believe that stress affects their health negatively. If you look at the media, we, we, we are led to believe that stress is bad for you. I've just gone over what the studies are showing. 
So I'm, I'm kind of almost building into that perception. But at the end of the day, stress doesn't have to be bad for you. It can only be bad for you under certain conditions and sometimes environmental, sometimes perceptive, sometimes behavioral. And the, and the message is to really turn it around because the consequences are absolutely dire because the neg- just the negative perception of stress is the 15th leading cause of premature mortality in the world at the moment, according to the Center of Disease Controls and also researchers from the Department of Population and Health Sciences at the University of w- w- Wisconsin. They say that 20,000 or just over 20,000 people die every year just based on the perception that stress is bad for you and having a stressful event. So we have to change our perception. This is looking at the negative Association, you know, perceiving stress negatively. Yeah, because nobody, because nobody tells you that it actually is, you know, it's it's something that will uh, propel you or compel Liberate you potential. to do something. Exactly. It, you know, it'll f- make you find different ways to do things. That's what stress is. But you don't read about that. No. Nobody's talking about it's that. It's big bad stress. It's it's going to have a negative Im- impact on your health. Yeah, and I mean, it's take this pill and it should be say fine. Say stress and the picture comes up and the guy's sweating and his tires no, sure. undone and, and he's in a, you know, and his sleeves are rolled up and he's got his hand to his forehead and, and he looks terrible. We've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there at some stage or other. So these, these. So how do we change a perception? So how we change? Well, first of all, we've got to have a look at what the positive perception of stress can actually do to you. And there was three incredible studies that I'm, that I'm going to go over. And they were all Harvard-based studies. The, f- the first I'm going to talk about was in 2012. And it's, again, it was by a team uh, headed up by Jeremy Jamison from Harvard University, which involved 50 participants that were divided into three groups. And they were exposed to a simulated stress task. So what they did is take, took group one and said, okay, well, when you feel stressed, when you feel that heart rate elevates, respiration increase, tension escalates in your body, palms sweat, you know, you feel all the discomforts that are typically attributed to stress, that equals performance. You will excel in the task. Wow. The second group That's interesting. Yeah. was a placebo group, and they said, okay, well, when you get stressed, try and sub- suppress it, subdue it, uh, inhibit it, try and block it out of your mind, think about something else, you know, breathe deep, do whatever you have to, but just try and get stress. Stress is not good. The third group were left alone. And what they found was during and after the stressful task, those individuals that reappraised the stress had far lower blood pressure, much greater dilation of their blood vessels, and greater cardiac output. Now, that trans- if, you, if you look at what the major implications of stress are, one is the a spike in blood pressure, and that spike in blood pressure can have very negative consequences within the context of heart attacks and stroke. In fact, the, the, the prevalence of heart attacks in, in response to chronic stress, I think, is at around 27% higher risk of having a heart attack in response to chronic stress, and it's largely driven by that spike in blood pressure. But just through reappraisal, all of a sudden your blood pressure goes down, but your cardiac output increases. And basically, the difference between the expression of fear, you know, when we, when we're fearful about a situation, when we're courageous, um, in the same situation, the difference between the two is purely based on blood, blood vessel dilation, and that is brought about or certainly triggered by a change in perception. So the cardiovascular system is dramatically protected and enhanced by changing perception. They do not understand how this occurs. They don't understand the mechanism, but it's reliable in the literature. The second study was in 2013, and it was in the journal Clinical Psychological Science. 
And what it showed is reappraisal buffered the effects of stress. So when you're going through a stressful experience, as as did the first one, your cardiovascular system is less uh, agitated. Certain stress hormones might not be as elevated. Certain combination of stress hormones might not be as compromised. But what it also showed was that those people who are reappraised stress see stress as something positive, something that can change their lives uh, and be impactful going forward in, in, a, in a constructive way actually improved far quicker from stress than those individuals who didn't reappraise stress. So not only did it protect you during the stressful event, but it sped up the recovery from the stressful events following that. Now, there's a deep relevance to this. And that deep relevance is that the major trigger in health compromise associated with chronic stress is an inability to shut the stress response down. The stress response is two systems. One's called the HPA axis and one is called the sympathomedullary pathway. And it's an inability to shut those down. And by reappraising stress, you can shut it down far quicker, recover far more effectively. So that's one and two. The third study. This is my favorite. So again, a team from Harvard. Um, and now what they're looking at is how reappraisal affects cognitive performance under pressure. So how you intellectually under situations of stress if you've reappraised stress. So this, this, it was actually the, the article was entitled Turning the Knots in Your Stomach into Bows, Reappraising Arousal Improves Performance on the GRE. So what the study involved, uh, it, it basically involved 60 individuals, 60 participants that were divided into two groups. One group that reappraised stress. So basically the, the, the uh, researchers told the participants that the increased heart rate that you feel, the increased respiration, the increased muscular tension, that equals Excellence. That will, if you're feeling those symptoms, you will perform better on your test. Right. Yeah. Okay. The other group was left alone. And what they did, they, they set a practice exam. And prior to the test, all the participants provided a saliva sample that was analyzed for a protein enzyme called alpha amylase. So basically, it's able, able to collectively determine the levels of dopamine, adrenaline, noradrenaline, all these neurochemicals that determine focus, tension, you know, cognition. They're very, very important neurochemicals. And what if, what they found was the reappraisal group, those people that were conditioned to believe that stress was good for their performance, had high levels of dopamine, high levels of norepinephrine, high levels of adrenaline during that exam. And the results were far better than those who did not reappraise stress. But what's most important and most significant about uh, the study was not what happened in that practice exam. It's what happened in the real exam, which was either one to three months later. So all the participants were required to bring their re- exam results back to the lab for uh, analysis. And what they found was the reappraisal participants had far higher scores than those that didn't reappraise stress. So not only did that one, you know, one motivation session followed by the exam change the scores on that day, but it actually changed their potential within the academic space. Very, very powerful, the, the reappraisal of stress. We don't know, as I say, we don't know the mechanisms behind this uh, physiological action. The, the research are frantically trying to understand them. But, you know, the primary lesson from this literature is that is, is really the power of the mind. We can't control the stresses that we're confronted with on a daily basis, but we can certainly control the way in which we perceive them, giving us considerable authority over our health and over our performance. And that's so the first message in the stress model. It is so interesting because if you think about it, Richard, um, and I know that this is medical, but I want to just talk a little bit about spiritual. Because when you believe, if, we, if somebody is a God-fearing person and you believe that Richard's path is Richard's path and Craig's path is Craig's path and Kathy's path is Kathy's path and 
everything that comes into our life is divinely ordained. We have a different approach to it than if we think that it's just being foisted upon us. And it gives us a sense of control that there is a sense, there's order and control in the world. And it doesn't have to be in it our It doesn't hands. have to be driven from us. Right. You know, because we can only control what we can control. Yeah. But really, the, the, you know, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very complex model. Um, as complex as it is, it's, fa- it's fairly simple to apply. And, you know, the, 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 first, the first step in this, in this equation is, is a shift in perception. And I've got a personal narrative that, that I will, I'll bring in after the break that I'll, I'll just uh, conclude the show oh, with. Oh, we like your personal narratives. Hmm. Listen, if you've just joined us, this is the Discam Medical Monday. And my name's Kathy Kayla. I've been doing this for the last hour. And my guest in studio is neurovascular practitioner. His name is Richard Sutton. If you want to find out what, what else he does, what else he has to say, you can get to his website. It's called suttonhealth.co.za. Uh, we have really, there's a whole long story about how he came to do what he's doing. Um, you know, he was, he was, uh, doing health management for a, a seeded player who was, where's, where's this? Player seated in. And now he's, uh, are you talking like, about the player who had crisis? Yes. Under crisis. Yeah, he was ranked around two in the world, three in the world. Right. Uh, in tennis. And this, and this is how everything changed. And you have to go and hear the personal story. So uh, get to highfm.com or get to suttonhealth.co.za. You'll be able to download the podcast from a little bit later on today. We've been talking about stress. You know, South Africa, Bloomberg uh, published a study that they had done and uh, South Africa is the second most stressed country in the world. There are four factors that influence stress. One is control, not feeling that you have any control. Two is justice, or no no justice being seen to be done. Um, the effort or re- reward imbalance. You know, you're putting in the effort, but you're not actually getting the rewards. And also the lack of social support. Those are really the four fundamental influences of stress. At the end of the day, though, we all live in a state of stress. You cannot escape stress. Anyone who's telling you, you know, get stress out of your life doesn't know what they're talking about. That is what Richard was saying, because we cannot, especially here in South Africa, all of these four four factors are things that it's part of our daily life. You cannot escape it. Um, so you need to learn how to deal with stress better. And number one on that is is your perception of stress. If you believe it is bad for you, it will be very bad for you. If you believe or if you can change your perception, have that, you know, that, that shift that uh, shows you or that you can actually take on the belief, reframe it, that stress is something which can propel you. It can also get you to take action. It is an opportunity to make change. Then this is a good thing, right? And it's, it's about really learning how to deal with stress rather than getting it out of our lives because stress is not as bad as, it th- as, uh, as it's made out to be by to the be mainstream bad. media. Okay, so uh, you've got any questions? You've got about five minutes to send them through. 34519, that's a text line. We'd love to hear from you. Share your opinion. Join the conversation. You can also uh, WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. 
Pharmacists to Care. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Diskim Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla. My guest is Richard Sutton. He is a neurovascular practitioner. We've been talking about stress. If you've uh, if you've only just joining us now, boy oh boy, you have missed an absolute cracker of a program and very very important information. So what I can suggest you do is get to chaifm.com, c h a i f m.com. Go to podcasts and download. The, uh, the podcast a little bit later on today. Alternatively, you can also get to Saturn Health. And I should have it up there, yeah. Today. yeah, I should also be up on there a little bit later on today. All right. So Richard, we've been talking about perceptions and how you perceive stress is going it's to have, affect you. Yeah. Very it's going much to so. have a huge impact. So f- for me, there's, you know, there's so many experiences where a change in perception has, has altered my reality. But the, the first and most impactful was actually, uh, in the early nineties, uh, when I was a naval recruit. And uh, I just want to go back uh, a step or two. Uh, for most of my high school, I actually worked at night and, and tried to do schoolwork in the day. So it, it wasn't wasn't the easiest time. It was a, a very challenging time. So school suffered a little bit and didn't sleep that much and wasn't exceptionally healthy. But I saved enough money to, when I finished school to go overseas and, and spend some time in the States just before I had my, my national service intake, which was in April the following year. So I took myself overseas. I had family that moved in the 70s, kindly offered me accommodation and, and a, you know, a place to stay during the period that I was, I was looking to take a, a load off. And, you know, you've watched those programs, you know, the States were so appealing and all these cool bars and, and just everything is, is, is just like lights and, and sparkles. And, and that's what I expected. But what I didn't realize was I was 18 years old, couldn't go to any bars or clubs, didn't have any friends. And I wasn't locked in the city in New York. I was locked in the suburbs. So, you know, it's after a month or two, my lifestyle became exceptionally unhealthy. It was, it's all about the junk food. It was about watching copious amounts of TV. It was kind of a, immersing I can't myself. I imagine you doing believe that. Believe it or not, so it was, no, it, it's true. Do you have was, photos from that time? No, I've had to burn them. <laughs> <laughs> Bury them in the, in the garden. That's where they belong. <laughs> so anyway, so, so I spent, uh, I spent this, this period of time, you know, just three, four months just Kind of in the state of indulgence, and you know, I just thought this saw my health decline, my my like mental attitude decline, and for, I believe it or not, you know, like you're caught in that model, and you believe that you're having the time of your life, but you're not really. And I, you know, I kind of moved from one family member to another, seeing different parts of the U.S., but it was all fundamentally the same. You know, kind of was stagnating and, and just not going anywhere. Unfortunately, I had to do national service. It got me out of that rut, and I came back about a week before national service. But during that, that four, five-month period, I hadn't exercised, hadn't trained, hadn't eaten well. Uh, you know, I kind of was sleeping till twelve o'clock in the in, in the mo- in the at noon, and uh, it was a. You became uh, an American kid. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it certainly wasn't a conducive environment to what I was about to in, 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 ex- get exposed to. So anyway, so I arrived back for a, for a week, and I thought, okay, well, this is an opportunity to get in shape for military training, basic training. So I did one or two ten-minute runs, and, but continued to eat the the sugars and the and the saturated fats and and the alcohol and whatever came came with it. You know, that uh, didn't really change up all the routine. And and then the day arrived, it felt like it, it just appeared, sprung on me, but it actually, you know, I've been waiting for that day for a long time. And we, I got uh, there was a bus in Pretoria that I had to take to Sildana Naval Base. Bus ride was about 18 hours. So I, so I get to the bus. I've got this like long flowing hair and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty out of shape. Uh, you know, I'm pretty soft around the edges and just, just like, uh, you know, a bit slovenly. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. Uh, self-admitted. 
And uh, I, I look at the recruits, you know, there's 30, 40 guys, and they're unbelievable shape. I mean, they look so fit and healthy, got these shaved hair. And I thought, oh, my word, you know, did I miss the brief? You know, it, it's, uh, there's something go wrong. Didn't get the memo. So Richard. on the bus, my heart is pounding, and I'm, I'm, I'm already stressed. But there was nothing. So 18 hours later, we arrive at this magnificent base. What, what a setting. I mean, if there was going to be a resort in South Africa, it's the Saldana Naval Base. It's f- fantastic. We get off the bus and then the screaming starts. You know, so at first the screams were the, it was the leading seaman, but the, within an hour the screams were ours. <laughs> so we were running, at, you know, with, we got off the bus in full kit, being on a bus for 18 hours and we were doing shuttle runs. Remember, I've done 30 minutes of running in five months. Yeah. You know, that, that was my fit. So needless to say, I wasn't feeling too good and, and, and I, I was lagging at the back all the time. And, uh, so finally the, the day ended. That was the start of the day and then we had to go around and get beds and get clothes and get uniforms and get whatever. And, and we had a briefing around 11 p.m. at night saying, well, these are the rules of the base. You'll never run. Uh, you'll never walk. You'll always run. And, you know, some of the rules were reasonable. Some of them were ridiculous. But any, anyway, 11 o'clock at night, we had the rules and it's been a long day now. Three, four o'clock in the morning, here's some firecrackers go, pots banging, everyone has to get up, we've got five minutes to get up, and we've got to choose two steel beds that we're going to be running around sand dunes with for the next two hours. So we grab, you know, 30 of us, of course I'm struggling at the, uh, struggling at the back, I mean I can hardly move from the shuttle uh, sprints that I was exposed to getting off the bus, but uh, I kind of stagger along at the back. Get back to the, the dorm two hours later and said, now we have an inspection. But at 11 o'clock at night, they gave us the criteria for the inspection. You know, no beach sand, the beds are ironed, the uniform. You know. oh, the corners of yeah, the beds. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> got to, everything's got to be perfect. And needless to say, after two hours of shuffle around, all the, half the beach was dragged into the dorm. We're all sweating. Our, you know, we had bristles on our face. Yeah, heaven forbid you have a, uh, you know, a little bit of stubble mm. on the face. And out we went for the next drill. I mean, it was all staged and it, it was all part of uh, the breaking down model. So the next drill we had to do at about five in the morning was was uh, an ocean swim, beautiful, and uh, we obviously were allowed to have our and kids you've had on. Some, how much sleep? Uh, no, we haven't had any sleep, but uh, uh, no different to now today. today. But um, so all of us, you know, we we get into now. Remember, this is Saldana, Atlantic Ocean. It's April or middle of April, and we get into the water with our kits, doing push-ups, and we run up sand dunes, then back in the water, back on the sand dune. The chafing is—I mean, we're looking like cowboys now. Of course, I'm straddling at the at the back, and it's it's an enormous challenge for me. I'm I'm like beside myself. This is like the worst experience I've ever uh, been exposed to. So, you know, finally, you know, kind of the, the 24, 36 hour period ends, but the cycle continues. It's the same thing day in and out, just escalating. And I'm starting to get down and I'm starting to get depressed and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to confide in people telling them, you know, this is the, you know, the worst experience I've ever had and, and, you know, I've got to get out of this and, and I can't keep going on and it's, it's just painful. You know, I can't survive this. It's so, so tough. You know, and, and. There's no escape. I'm not there's in control. There's no escape. And, and, and it just went on and on and on. And, you know, from an anxious state to a down state to a totally depressed state. Within three, four weeks, I was completely depressed. And, and also, you know, I, I found a, a way to be anonymous, which is good in the uh, military environment. But at the same time, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I was always at the back of the pack. I was, you know, kind of never leading at, the, you know, you, in those environments, you have to lead, you have to drive, you have to participate with the group. And I was just trying to survive, you know, partly because of my lack of fitness and partly because I was mentally uh, weak at the time. And then the, the, the big blow actually came um, around uh, the four or five week mark where the, the base captain gave us an address. All the recruits absolutely exhausted on the parade ground um, were had an address by the base commander. And he said, look, 
I'm just going to tell you one thing. It's going to be a short and sharp address. All national service recruits cannot leave here unless they die or they have a dishonorable discharge or end up, uh, or end up in a military prison. That's the, the only way Jeez. national servicemen are going to leave this base. I'm making it clear. Now, why he gave that address was the fact that it was the first multiracial intake. So we had 10% um, national servicemen and 10% volunteers. And the objective of that intake, as it was stated to us following the intake, was to try and get as many people to tap out as possible. And we couldn't go anywhere. We had to survive that environment. Sure. We could only get out through military prison, psychological discharge, or death. or death. Okay, those were the only... So, you know, it's, you know, depression went into like an absolute, like, you know, I was going nowhere. It was, it, you know, I had no friends. I wasn't interacting. I was always at the back. It was just, it, it was an environment. If you look at every single stress factor, they were all on paper listed down and, and very much part of the experience. So there was, one day what happened was um, the base commanders and um, the non-commissioned officers had, there was a big rugby, the Springboks were playing someone. You know, this was the only respite we ever had. And it was the one day we actually had half a day off. And uh, so it was in the afternoon. They all went to watch rugby and, you know, all the recruits just could do whatever they want. And it was the first time I took a walk around the base. And I thought, you know, I thought to myself, looking at the environment, I said, look, I'm not going anywhere. I have to make this work. I've got to change my mindset. I've got to try hard. I've got to work harder. I've got to be, you know, more resilient to this environment because it cannot continue. I cannot, you know, um, uh, continue on this path in going down this slope at this at this rate. I mean, what's what's the next step? I mean, you you you're in such a deep depression. It's what is the next step? So I'm having this this uh, internal dialogue, internal conversation. I, I say. This is it. I'm changing the way I see it. I'm going to see this as an opportunity to to get fitter, to get stronger, to get mentally stronger. I'm going to try my hardest. If I'm at the back, I'm going to try and get to the middle. I'm going to and so on. I'm not joking. Within ten days, I was at the front of the of the pack, and from that moment onwards, the national service experience was the best of my life. I was never sick. I was never injured. I was never down. I was never depressed. I actually signed on for an extra year because I loved it so much all based on that change in perception at that particular moment. You made a decision. And those disciplines have stayed with me till, to this day. Okay. Same haircut, I still get up early, you know, watch what I eat. You know, all, all those controls have now been put in place and I still maintain it. And it really was one of those aha moments, those moments that really your life changed. And it's why I've given this narrative and given the story is because it's the power of perception. Nothing changed except for the way I perceived the environment. I changed the way I perceived the environment and the whole experience of military training, national service became totally different. Incredible. Thank you That's for sharing that story. Stories. Thank you. Huh. When are you coming back? We want to hear more stories. Huh. Listen, we've got some messages for you, Richard. Yes. Uh, Ruth says, can stress raise your cholesterol levels? Brilliant question. Yes, it can. Brilliant question. Really? Yeah, it can. It can have uh, many negative effects, and one of them is elevated cholesterol. You're mobilizing the adrenal compart. You know, so stress is based in two waves. The adrenal component actually pushes <clears throat> Fat into the bloodstream and also accelerates oxidation of those fats. So you can, it can certainly create plaques in cholesterol. Incredible. Okay. But not, un, not unexpected after this Don't, hour. No, there's a lot more to this, this, uh, equation. You know, it's, I've just talked about perceptions, not everything. It's the first part. We've got to talk about behavior, changing the way we behave in situations. And then we've got to talk about the details. You know, what should you eat? What shouldn't you eat? How should you exercise? What kind of environment should you expose yourself to? There's some great supplements on the market. What should we take and what should we, uh, we be avoiding? What has science to back it? What doesn't have science to back it? And the, all these are actually, I've got a, as, as you mentioned, I've got a, a 
DVD um, out on this topic um, that's that's recently been uh, we we produce a great uh, actually a great production team um, Show TV. Uh, if you do want to get hold of the DV, uh, DVD, uh, you contact Mark Boulder. Uh, Badler, sorry. Is, um, is it on your is it on your website? Not on my website yet. Mark, he's from Show TV. He'll be able to uh, facilitate that on 083-389-1999. So it's Mark Badler. Uh, he'll be able to just uh, provide the DVD. The, the book, which is a much more uh, detailed version of the D- DVD, a little bit harder to grasp, though, should hopefully, please God, be out uh, sometime next year. I'm just going through a second uh, review of the book. But... You know, stress stress really can be an advantage in our lives. We mustn't fear it. We mustn't uh, uh, try dismiss it and, yeah. and, and push it down. It's, it's something that we can incorporate, we can overcome it, and we don't have to become victims. Richard, yeah, and Ronnie, this is what, oh, this is the, you know, Ronnie sent in this, this message. She says, company that pressurized an employee for not performing when market conditions are down, will the stress caused to employee be blamed on the company? You know, the minute you get into a blame game, all of a sudden, if you, if, if you turn around and you say, you know what, the company's to blame, you know, it's, it's still the same thing. It is, it's just feeding into that stress because now all of a sudden you are out of control. You're feeling out of control, and also there's a lack of justice. If you're being blamed for something that's not, not fair, um, you know that in itself is is a stress unto itself. Yeah, Ronnie, don't get into the blame game. Find a way to reframe it and and make it something, you know, positive. Reframing it is a is a great way of, of phrasing it. Yeah, listen, Richard Sutton, it has been uh, wonderful speaking no, to you again. It's so great to be we, here. We've got to we've got to do a baby show at some point, but let's oh, finish yeah. with the stress. Yeah, I think so. Let's let's when finish. We we've back. got so much to to cover still on stress. And we can look at stress behaviors. Stress behavior. The next is behavior. Absolutely. And then we'll, after that, we'll look at habits. And then we'll look at all the details, the habits, the things we can incorporate. How do you shut the stress response down when you're going through crisis? How do you turn that off? You know, so we'll have a show on that, and we'll have a show on how to repair the damage once you've been stressed for long periods of time. So that's all to come. Oh, I love my job. I get to do <laughs> this. I get to do this every Monday. Listen, you have yourself a fantastic day. Thank you so much, Richard Sutton. And uh, hey, man, no stress. God bless. See you next time. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam.